0: Hey everybody! Welcome to Cross Politic on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. This is Michael Teeson filling in for the fellas while they're on Thanksgiving break. I am the host of one of the greatest shows ever to be recorded on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Yep, that's right—open mic with Michael Teeson. I think we have some sound effects to celebrate that. (laughs) Oh! Uh, I'm really happy to be on here. We're happy to be partnered with the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network and and on the show. Uh, Today, I am going to give you a taste of how we roll when we talk about liberty and when we talk about so many different issues that are affecting Christians' consciences and the way that we live out our lives uh, in faith And as we look to the Lord in so many changing times, but I want to bring to you uh, my friends from Rocklink Investment Partners. This episode will be brought to you by Rocklink. And Rocklink doesn't invest your money to satisfy a woke ESG goal or fall in line with the world economic form. They invest in great businesses that will protect and grow your wealth the old fashioned way. Get out of the mainstream money and give the Freedom Lovers at Rocklink a call at 905-631-5462 or send them an email at info at rocklink.com. And that's info at rocklink with a C dot com. And for those of you who are, uh, are American listeners, I believe they have some uh, great options for you as well offshore. So uh, today we are going to be talking about two significant stories uh, in the Canadian landscape, and I know actually we're hearing about some of these things in the United States as well. But we're following two stories, and the and the one story is how uh, children's hospitalizations are overwhelming. Um, the hospital uh, environment in Ontario specifically. And uh, we're talking about um, respiratory syncytial virus. And along with uh, the the remnants of COVID-19 and your average flu, uh, some health experts are fearing or calling this a triple-demic. Yeah, in case we haven't had any more uh, fear-mongering terms, we've come up with tripledemic tripledemic and uh folks i just wanted to spend some time today talking to an authority um on the heart and epidemiology one of the doctors that we've been using in order to uh, get up-to-date information and that's dr peter mccullough so today i'm going to be asking him about the connection uh to masking uh and uh the mandates regarding these childhood hospitalizations of course many of you know that across the 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 mainstream media we've had a call to return to masking mandates especially in ontario uh, in order to prevent these hospitalizations so we wanted to go to dr mccullough and talk a little bit about this secondly um, we're going to be tracking a story of both dr mccullough himself and how he is uh, being penalized uh, he, he's uh, being discredited for his opinions. And also, how uh, in Ontario this week, we are going to be seeing on Wednesday, November 23rd, uh, a tribunal, uh, College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario, against doctors Trozzi, Phillips, and Q. And so. Uh, folks what we're going to do here we're going to pan over to my interview with dr McCullough where he answers questions concerning uh, I think I think questions from from the left and the right meaning should we be concerned about uh, this rise in RSV and at the same time then as as individuals are are seeing this they're they're wondering is this is this some form of vaccine injury or uh, a result of antibody dependent enhancement there seems to be a Learn that with the rise of vaccinations and, and, the, and the amounts of boosters, that this is going to exasperate normal common viruses. And so I ask both questions uh, with Dr. McCullough, and I hope that you enjoy this interview. We're going to talk specifically at the tail end of it about how you can be listening to these Canadian doctors and their stories on uh, November 23rd at 9 a.m. So here's Dr. McCullough's interview. Dr. McCullough, thank you so much for coming on and being with us here.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: So, uh, Dr. McCullough, I know you're taking some uh, time out of your busy schedule. There are two stories that uh, we sought your opinion on, uh, two headlines that keep coming out in the Canadian media that we're looking for a little bit of clarity on. So the first story would be um, how... Uh, across Ontario, uh, predominantly right now, there is a call to uh, be vaccinated. There's a there's a call to uh, return to masking mandates by many, uh, and even some talking about uh, potential further lockdowns because of a problem in our hospitals, and that is childhood hospitalization for respiratory illnesses. And so, it, you know this is the typical call to come back and follow the health mandates and our listeners are looking for advice. And so we, we wanted to talk to you about this. Can you comment on childhood hospitalizations right now and whether or not people should be pursuing, you know, what the kind of mandates that we've been talking about for the last two years?
1: Well, let's just tackle currently what our U S CDC says about uh, SARS-CoV-2 COVID-19 and masking. Right now the only circumstance where there needs to be a mask is when there's a healthcare worker directly dealing with a covid patient. It's the only time a mask is recommended. So fortunately there's very few covid respiratory hospitalizations now. We've been at an all-time low through the omicron outbreak. We're now uh, through the BA4, BA5 subvariant onto the BQ1 and BQ11 subvariants of interest. Uh, those subvariants are not covered by the new bivalent BA4, BA5 vaccines, which within a few months looks like they've become theoretically obsolete. They were never tested in humans to begin with, so we don't know if they work at all in humans. They appeared to fail in the animal studies, so I anticipate they would have failed. Anyway, the hospitalization story uh, is being attributed to respiratory syncytial virus, RSV, a single-stranded RNA virus. Um, I think just the last three years has led the media to, if anything, over uh, overcall the seriousness of, uh, of uh, more cases reporting to hospitals. We don't have any data sources for adjudicated cases. What we do know about respiratory social viruses, the biggest frequency is in age under one, these are small babies, is treated readily with nebulizers, the babies get better and they go home. Uh, if if nebula, nebulizers are used at home, they don't need to go to the hospital. Uh, it can occur in, uh, in older adults, uh, but it's very rare. And there's some high-tech medicines. There's a monoclonal antibody. There's an antiviral called
0: um,
1: ribavirin. And then there is, uh, uh, you know, equivocal use of corticosteroids like inhaled budesonide. But respiratory syncytial virus, even in adults, is maybe a couple of days in the hospital at the most to get some nebulizers. And that said, we're not talking about... Uh, four-week stays in the hospital, prolonged mechanical ventilation, or any of that. I don't think Canadians should be alarmed. COVID-19 vaccination would have nothing to do with an RSV hospitalization. COVID-19 vaccination has never reduced COVID hospitalizations and deaths in randomized trials with that as a primary endpoint. An influenza vaccine last year had a vaccine efficacy of only 16% and it was statistically insignificant from zero. So the response to hearing news about hospital visits, presumably for RSV is not vaccination, it's actually a call for early treatment and probably proactive use of nebulizers uh, in small children.
0: Nebulizer is a word that uh, many of us have heard quite a lot of for the last two years. Can you explain to some of our listeners who? who may not be familiar with that type of treatment, just what exactly that looks like?
1: A nebulizer is just a small machine, sits on a desktop, it plugs in, and you can put some uh, form of saline or other liquid, usually mixed with medicine. And it literally just makes a mist that one can breathe in. And a baby, you can just have by the baby's nose and have it breathe in. And the common medicines we use in nebulizers are albuterol, budesonide. Those are very common. Uh, And that's how we would manage an occasional a uh, child with COVID who is having some respiratory symptoms, the way we handle childhood asthma wouldn't be any different for RSV.
0: And so c- certainly it's confusing to everybody because there seems to be an alarm. And uh, Dr. McCullough, you seem to be quite relaxed about it in the sense that this is this seems quite normal. Um, it is, has there been a more frequent uh, occurrence I- across North America this fall with RSV? Or is is this kind of something that we should just be uh, ready to face? Like, it, it seems almost like they're trying to drum up fear in, in, a, in a new situation. And uh, yet, yet, you seem quite familiar with this and quite ready to treat it.
1: I'm an adult internist and cardiologist. I know my pediatric colleagues are very comfortable with this. listen, part of medicine is that we have waves of things. We have waves of, of influenza, waves of, uh, of various other problems that come up and so you know we handle this. this is part of everyday medicine. I think what you're seeing since the COVID-19 pandemic is you're seeing kind of a hyperbolic reaction with fear. Do you know there's a couple pediatric groups in the United States that wanted President Biden to declare a national uh, RSV emergency? a national rsv emergency we're already under an extended covid-19 national emergency and a monkeypox emergency can you imagine if we had a triple virus national emergency none of these are emergencies they don't they don't meet any criteria for emergencies based on hospital capacity or excess population mortality none of them do i think we just need to settle down treat people who are sick and we'll get through this
0: so, so maybe on the opposite side of settling down for our listeners, I know that there's a number of people um, interested to know or asking about something called antibody dependent enhancement, um, whereby there is a concern uh, that um, growing exposure to these viruses because of the last two years, because of the vaccination program, uh, will, will, will cause uh, this type of problem, can you explain to our listeners antibody-dependent enhancement? I'm getting questions about that and uh, may, may, maybe help us understand, our, our, is that something to be concerned about or, or, or something to, again, just deal with uh, in, a, in a normal way?
1: Antibody-dependent enhancement is the statistical chance that um, with uh, continued vaccination, that we would get an unlucky antibody situation where the antibodies actually assisted the next strain of virus to get into the body and invade the body and cause more damage. In my opinion, we haven't seen antibody-dependent enhancement. There's only one theoretical paper that's published on this by Liu and colleagues. So we're not seeing that. What we've seen is we've seen progressive mutations from wild-type alpha, beta, gamma, delta, now Omicron, and then the Omicron subvariants. We're seeing progressive mutation in response to ineffective mass vaccination. That's really what we've seen. So far the uh, overall um, uh, uh, strain to strain it's become milder. Now within the subvariant family of Omicron it looks like BQ1 and BQ11 is actually going to be more severe than BA45. That's been my experience. I've had some recent patients more ill than they had been in the last 9 months compared to other cases. So um, I think that's the case. But we haven't seen antibody-dependent enhancement. You know, that that is a prediction some have made that said, listen, if we keep up mass vaccination, sooner or later, the virus is going to take a turn and become very serious, and we're going to see skyrocketing mortality rates. And we haven't seen that. And by the way, if we do see that, the first place we would see that is in nursing homes, and we're not seeing any signals out of nursing homes right now. So I, I think we're okay on ADE.
0: Okay, that's really helpful because again, the there's I think there's just concern on both sides of this conversation as to how things can get out of hand, and I know a lot of individuals are are, are wondering, you know, if, if if we're keep if we if, if we're pushed and, and we're pushed to increase our vaccination uh, when we're not really sure about the outcomes of it, then will will that have damaging effects? So uh, thank you for commenting on that. Uh, off air, Dr. McCullough, you just mentioned an important story uh, that uh, that you wanted to talk about. Just before we came on, you mentioned an important headline story, and I'd like to give you time to share that with our listeners.
1: Yeah, we were stunned to find out that um, Pfizer and Moderna had uh, procured a marketing firm, um, Weber Shandwick, and Weber Shandwick actually had a secretly embedded unit within the CDC vaccine office. And was promoting vaccines to the CDC. In fact, the CDC had actually given them a contract for $53 million. Weber Shandwick also had a corporate infiltrated infiltration program pushing vaccines in large corporations. And now we find out Weber Shandwick is co-presenting with the American Board of Internal Medicine and an AI company called Blackbird AI at the South uh, by Southwest uh, Texas Technology. Conference And suggesting that Weber Shandrick is actually working with the American Board of Internal Medicine, uh, which is a board that should just be focusing on uh, clinical competencies in internal medicine and subspecialties. Instead, the American Board uh, adopted a COVID misinformation policy as a tool to politically strike doctors and strip them of their credentials. And it looks like I'm the first uh, subject to have that happen. a a credentialing committee has met without due process, without uh, fair rules of evidence, and uh, recommended that I be stripped of my certifications after four decades of perfect service, perfect board scores, and clinical performance because of my uh, U.S. and Senate testimony made under oath uh, with very accurate comments regarding the pandemic at the time. Uh, So now uh, I have to go through a lengthy appeal process, and we've uncovered this large fraud, this collusion between the pharmaceutical companies and the American Board of Internal Medicine. I think that's going to be hotly pursued by attorneys, uh, state uh, attorney generals, uh, and others. And I, I think Pfizer and Moderna should come clean. Uh, they should respond to Senator Rand Paul uh, and respond to others and, and tell us what's going on. We can't have vaccine companies within CDC offices promoting vaccines. We can't have them through intermediaries affecting um, board credentialing uh, bodies for doctors. This this corruption is wide open, uh, it's got to stop, and we got to put an end to it.
0: Yeah, I remember seeing that story just recently, and if, if we put it into other words, uh, the there's a marketing company that the CDC actually employed, or th- at the same time that Pfizer and Moderna employed them. Is, is that correct?
1: Right, and, and according to the communications from the workers in there, they're promoting vaccines. They're promoting COVID-19 vaccines. And people have always asked me, why does the CDC favor Pfizer and Moderna as opposed to Johnson & Johnson and Novavax? It's because they have the marketing firm embedded in their own CDC office.
0: Yeah, I, I, it seems um, quite ridiculous. in it, in the face of the fact that CDC has so much authority to penalize individuals such as yourselves, I'm thinking of three Canadian doctors that are facing the College of Surgeon uh, and Physicians in Ontario this week, uh, Dr. Mark Trozzi, um, Dr. Crystal um, and there is a third doctor, Dr. – I I, uh, I don't want to get it wrong, so I'll I'll, I'll – Tell the listeners uh, next time that's coming up on Wednesday in Canada, and that's that's a really serious problem. I'm sorry that you're facing it, and hopefully your appeal uh, will be uh, will vindicate you. I'm sure that part of just the the difficulty of of having your credentials stripped is, of course, them trying to discredit your voice at the same time. Um, how how are you dealing with that, Dr. McCullough?
1: You're right, many media commentators have thought this is a preemptive strike because they know almost certainly I would be involved in any House of Representatives uh, inquiry into pandemic response by the CDC, NIH or FDA or the pharmaceutical companies. And so I'm almost certainly I'd be an advisor to the majority, um the chairman of the various investigative committees. And they're probably trying to de- to discredit me You know, as a result of this temporarily, I've lost my current job, and that's my second job now. And um, because of this, uh, if this goes through, I can't uh, contract with insurances, uh, I can't have hospital privileges, and they're effectively trying to end my career for political reasons. I mean, when I testified under oath in the Texas and U.S. Senate, I did it to my best of my ability. I quoted the science with great precision. And um, there's nothing that the board has presented that um, uh, that is contradictory i, I mean there are, there's you know this is a rapidly moving pandemic there's always multiple points of view no one has mon- a monopoly over the truth and um, the american board is using nazi style propaganda techniques to try to silence any opposition to the government narrative
0: Well, Dr. McCullough, I know that you just stepped away from a busy schedule today, so thank you for being on and and sharing with us. We've certainly appreciated your voice. Again, folks, as we listened to Dr. McCullough, uh, he had a full opportunity to um, stir up the dissension. He had a full opportunity to uh, to to stir up our listeners who are 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 trying to understand and and maybe might be researching on the opposite side and. And again, we get a balanced opinion. We get a professional opinion. And uh, Dr. McCullough, I really thank you for being on. Uh, You've been a good voice of reason and research throughout this entire uh, pandemic and now beyond, uh, but I guess not quite beyond because apparently uh, we're not beyond, but we've really appreciated you. I, you know, uh, I know that I pray for you regularly. Uh, I know that many of our listeners pray for you regularly. Uh, and we've seen so many similar situations in Canada uh, where doctors are being attacked by their regulatory bodies just to be silenced. So we appreciate how bravely you've been been standing. And we hope that this appeal will win. We'll be praying for that.
1: All right, Mike, I got an update. You know, While doctors are on the defense in Canada, I'm on the defense in the United States. Dr. Paul Merrick, Um, Dr. Mary Mary talley Bowden and Dr. Apter are on the offense, and today they're in court, federal court, suing the FDA over the FDA, making fraudulent statements about ivermectin. And uh, we heard the talking point that the lawyer for the FDA said uh, that, uh, he said, well, we never said you can't use ivermectin, but there it is all over the FDA's website and tweets that they were actively discouraging doctors from using ivermectin. Doctors are using it as part of a community standard of care. We didn't have other uh, antivirals that had very good data from the um, from the ICON study that was done in Florida, published in Chest. And so the FDA is on the run. I think what um, I think what Dr. Merrick and his team are doing are masterful. And if they're successful, this is going to open up the floodgates for the FDA to be sued for wrongdoing because its efforts uh, against early treatment led to. Vast numbers of in-hospital deaths and unnecessary hospitalizations.
0: Well, I, I'm glad that you shared that with our listeners because I think it gets overwhelming to think: is there anything being done in the courts? And I know right now in our in our Canadian context, we have uh, an inquisition into an investigation into the use of the Emergency Measures Act, and and um, there seems to be, you know, again. Uh, Two sides giving their evidence and, and cross-examining one another, and can, many Canadians are hoping that the legal climate will change. And I know in the states the same way that the legal climate will change to be in favor of the truth and, and not all these just blatant lies. Because you and I certainly remember when you were not allowed to even consider ivermectin. That 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 you know that, that's we're not horses. I believe was the was the phrase that that people kept using. So. That's really great that that offensive uh, is being taken. Look, everybody, uh, let's just uh, have a thanks for Dr. Uh, McCullough coming on. Peter, thank you so much. We really appreciate you. Godspeed as you go and uh, continue to appeal your situation. Thank you. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed that interview. There is certainly a growing concern as we navigate the story of the pandemic i want to say as we navigate the now analysis of what we've been through for the last three years um, there's a growing concern as we watch how uh, so so much coercion was enabled by the state marrying very closely to organizations that were working to produce uh, or to promote the vaccines and so this um, this conflict of interest is being a a larger problem as we move forward you know typically if a government wants to collude with an organization that is one thing what you know if the government wants to use an advertising company in order to promote their new recreation center and say, you know, swimming's a great option, but when it is partnered with penalizations and when it is partnered with restrictions, that becomes extremely dangerous. And so I want to share with you about bull Bitcoin born out of the desire to separate money from the state. Bitcoin epitomizes freedom money and uncensorable network programmed around digital scarcity where the individual is in full control and accountable for his or her own property bull bitcoin canada's most trusted bitcoin exchange since 2013 is hundred percent self-funded uh, they are a company led and operated by an incorruptible group of activists for individual liberties and freedom at bull bitcoin security and privacy are a priority i don't know about you but we we talk regularly about just just going into almost any institution and you you, you give your information you share your information security and pri uh, and privacy here at bull bitcoin are a priority And so, folks, go over and make sure you contact Bull's best-in-the-business customer support team at any point to request assistance throughout the process. Take control of your money, mission.bullbitcoin.com backslash LCC. Folks, go over there to mission.bullbitcoin.com backslash LCC. So, folks, I want to follow up with my interview with Dr. McCullough because you, you can see there uh, the difficulty he is going through while you have uh, while you have organizations lying about whether or not they uh, they they discredited ivermectin, at the same time, uh, you have uh, the regulatory bodies in both the United States and Canada trying to silence and penalize uh, doctors like Dr. McCullough and doctors have been, Silenced, and now uh, we have this hearing date for November 23rd at 9 a.m. And of course, in this press release, uh, they encourage um, individuals to write to the tribunal for a viral link, and that's so that many people can hear this story. In Dr. McCullough's case, where he's been accused, um, and, and where he mentions that. Uh, he's been accused for his treatment course. Uh, the same thing has happened. And where, where the FDA has uh, intervened interfered with the use of Ivermectin and there is a lawsuit, as, as Dr. McCullough mentioned, going on right now, um, you can go to the FDA website and it says that why you should not use Ivermectin to treat or uh, prevent COVID-19. Well, in, in Canada, the same thing happened. And these doctors were penalized if they attempted to prescribe those those alternative medications other than the mandated course of treatment. So folks, uh, this is a, an important story both in Canada and the United States about doctors being silenced. We're so thankful that Dr. McCullough could come on and be with us. Please go and... Um, Make sure you're up to date on this story about these three Canadian physicians. I've interviewed all three of them. And in fact, uh, uh, Dr. Crystal Lechkew is specifically being penalized uh, for some of the testimony she gave on this podcast. So we stand with these doctors and we support them. And you can hear good information again. I repeat, the doctor McCullough came on here. He had the opportunity to in, to to inflame the situation. He had the opportunity to be um, uh, full of exaggeration. He was not. These doctors have been saying from day one they disagree uh, with the mandates. They disagree with what public health is saying. They disagree with that by presenting. Um, alternative treatments, alternative information, um, and exemptions, and we want to we want to support them, and we and we're thankful for them. So, for those of you who are uh, normal fight, laugh, feast listeners, that's a taste of open mic with Michael Tison. We try to interact with professionals and individuals about real life issues, and integrate our faith as we do so. So please be praying for these doctors, uh, be praying for uh, success in the courts so that truth would prevail. All right, everybody. Thanks for being with me. Godspeed.